Hey everyone, hope you're doing well wherever and whenever you're listening to the show. I'm your host, Stephen Massey, Coast Guard vet, tall drink of water and overall shitbag, and you're listening to More Than War. This is a show that focuses on combat veterans and their stories. We often look at the military as a faceless organization and lose sight of the fact that all branches of the military, whether foreign, domestic, ally, or enemy, are made up of individuals, each with their own backgrounds, experiences, paradigms, and stories. Stories that are often overlooked and stories that I think deserve to be heard. So I always throw a quick trigger warning out just because I don't know what we're going to uh, cover. And some people um, are a little more sensitive to some things than others. And so today's guest is uh, a guy that I've actually, I think, only met in person one time. He did make the best damn grilled salmon I have ever had in my entire life. And... Um, I uh, met him through my wife, so we're going to go ahead and jump into this episode of More Than War. I love that awkward little bit when the music's playing. We just kind of stare at each other. Yeah, what what face am I? We should have done like a. Let me look. Which way would I look? I'd look at you. You'd look at me. <laughs> a, a, yes. <laughs> <Maybe> some... Yeah. <laughs> well, I am talking to you. You are in uh, Alaska right now, yeah. I am. I'm up here supporting. I'm still working with the. Uh, Actually, that's probably more of my story. Still working with the military ever since 9-11. Okay. That's, uh, so I've been on the move, and since Amanda's known me, that's... Uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I spent a... Uh, most of my later careers. Yeah, I, I spent a, a good a good chunk of my time in the Coast Guard in, in Alaska, like Kodiak and Attu, uh, Port Clarence, which is uh, near Nome, and and uh, yeah, a lot of, lot, of, lot of good time in there in the cold. Yeah, so you had to have some good cold gear. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, um, just to kind of get the king things kicked off, um, what uh, what branch of the military were you in, and how long? So I did twenty one. Well, just short of twenty one years in the Marine Corps. Okay. And and actually, Stephen, I think you know for this show with the veteran side. Uh, my time in the Marine Corps was predominantly during the Cold War. In fact, it's kind of funny watching today's world events that a lot of what we're seeing now is almost identical to the mindset and, you know, the polarization between, you know, what was the Soviet Union and us during then, and now we're, here we are back to having, you know, a Putin-type character. Yeah. Uh, there lots of uh lots of responses we have to yeah lots of lots of tension in the air uh depending on who who you talk to for sure especially the more uh when you see it i guess you know right and and that's like i said there's there's certain things and i'm not saying that you know hey i can't tell you but you know there's certain things we can't say but that's what i do now is i still support the military and the military support of uh, systems and personnel that may or may not be deployed or have to get called up if things were to happen. So it's it's one of these uh, interesting dynamics that for this conversation, I find that my Marine Corps career is probably less relevant 
than my time afterwards because I don't know how long you got the show, but I'll try to be succinct. I loved my Marine Corps time. And, you know, we got trained, had good units, and we trained hard together, and you had a lot of continuity of units. And yet during my time, there were very few conflicts. You know, we had Desert Storm, we had Grenade, we had a variety, a couple other things. But it was less uh, intense than what we've seen after 9-11. Yeah. In fact, after doing 20 years in the Marines, when I got out, I enjoyed my time, but I knew I didn't want to do defense work, mm-hmm. and which sounds odd with my preface. Now that I've told you I've been doing this work for since 9-11, uh, I did four or five years of non-defense work, and we're doing well, family happy, me happy, you know, life happy. But then when 9-11 occurred, I got a call from an Army personnel that said, hey, we need your expertise kind of thing, and can you help us out? And truth be told is, you know, I am old. I'm probably an idealistic guy, a little bit of, uh, you know, go make a difference and jump back into it. Here I am now 20 years later, and the number of conflicts and combat interactions and the impact of war has probably been more relevant from those years than from my Marine Corps time. Wow. Uh, watching you know, the, the constant rotation of soldiers and deployments into Afghanistan and Iraq and another locations. In fact, the reason I agreed to speak, and I'll start off, and, and I'll try to keep a straight face. Sometimes I get a little sentimental on this one, that I work with soldiers and, and for a while there, the Marines for a couple weeks on the front end before their appointments or before they would go with a certain systems and certain equipping and get them up to speed. And then we touch base with them when they came back and you know, the, the rotation of deployments there between, you know, when the war first started back all those years ago and, you know, the 2014-16 time frame, I got to know these guys on a personal level for weeks at a time and multiple events at a time. So I got to put faces with names and uh, I've had to come through some some growing and accepting that uh, when we lost those, we've lost over... 640 of the soldiers and Marines that I worked with personally were lost in those conflicts. And that is one to where I will vocalize, you know, what I think, what I feel, what I see, because uh, I think the nation's awareness of what those soldiers did do and are doing is uh, not necessarily, you know, visible. Mm-hmm. As long as life for them back in the rear is status quo, then During those years, you know, there was a very low awareness. And the other thing that I hit in on strong and got engaged in uh, primarily between 2004 and 2010 was the suicide awareness because of the stress of combat. Not only were I losing people that I worked with, but we were losing people to an increased uh, suicide rate. Yeah. So. You know, those kind of stories is more of what I think may be relevant is, is less than my, like my Marine Corps career it was great. I worked with uh, Hawk missile systems, a variety of other missile systems and other locations where, you know, people were used. But the truth is, is that my, what I'd call my relationship with combat and the impacts of combat on, mm-hmm. on me and other soldiers and Marines I knew was more as this 
support role I've been doing since 9-11. Right. Well, that's, you know, it's, it's funny is the wrong word. Just in the, in, the, in the context, funny that you say that is, you know, one of the purposes and things I hope to accomplish with this is people to share their stories. And, and uh, the, the I know that the uh, suicide rate specifically among combat vets is just astronomical um, comparatively. And so um, to have an avenue where uh, people can hear that they're not alone and just be able to have a platform to share their stories, which I think, like I, I kind of say in the intro, that stories that deserve to be heard and, and to be told um, is, is kind of the goal, right? And, and somebody in your situation that's, that's you have a lot of wisdom, uh, you know, to, to share. And, you know, if, if nothing else, through the conversation, if somebody happens to hear something and or get engaged and it helps them out, then that's, you know, that's why why it's here you know so i that's in a nutshell <laughs> i guess in response to that well, it, it is people listening probably aren't going to believe that you and i hadn't talked before this because what your goal is is exactly realistically why i agreed to talk is is the the stresses of what the military personnel go through mm-hmm. and you know the realities of that for both combat and after combat post combat mm-hmm. And I apologize. I should have found a way to oh, it's fine. <laughs> turn off these texts that are coming in as I'm as I'm doing. Uh, yeah, that's a uh, stay busy working. But I guess I'll start with, you know, I think most of America is unaware, truthfully, of what the military is really like. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, we have this idea. Even I had it when I joined a Marine Corps back in. Oh, my God, I'm going to say it out loud. 1978, the end of 78, <laughs> you know, when I came in. Like I said, Cold Wars in full bloom, and you know I grew up watching John Wayne movies, and my uncle was a Marine, and my dad was an Army Air Corps, you know, and we had these ideas, because even those veterans didn't really talk about mm-hmm. what they saw in combat, right? right? For that greatest generation, it was almost a silent service, and you know they they didn't talk about those things much to where the public eye saw. You know, the military and, and everything is a great, wonderful thing, which it is mm-hmm. in so many ways. Uh, but it was the idealistic thing. But I will pause and say that that military, they seem better trained. I think somewhere along the lines, and, w- and when I say trained, I should say prepared, mm-hmm. is I think they were, yes, it was Russian, you know, them going through their training, but there was a unit cohesiveness. There was that those personnel, you know, at the initial stages, you had a tight cohesive unit going into uh, a combat situation that would stay that way. Right. If you think if you think about how the military is now, it's really a reflection of society's view on education. We do a lot of check in the box, mm-hmm. you know, hey, and, and I don't know how actually the Coast Guard, I still do that. I, I actually, when I talk to if parents want me to recommend a military service, my brains are going to walk at me and throw stones at me sooner or later here. But I'll <laughs> say, I, I said, I, I, I loved my time in the Marine Corps. However, I do not recommend service for kids because the Marine Corps career I had and the people I worked with, you can't promise that for anybody going in. And the right. times have changed. Oh, for sure. However, what I do say is if they're joining to get an education or they're joining to you know better themselves and get out of a position they're in, I encourage Coast Guard, Navy, Air Force, because for the most part, the learning and the professional side, not the combative arms, but the the educational side of those branches are a little bit 
better. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, the, 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 I'll say that. the, the post career opportunities as, as well, like, um, you know, Eli, my oldest was my stepson, but my oldest kid, um, Amanda's son, yep. you know, he got accepted, uh, you know, he's in the Navy, but he got accepted in their fast track nuclear engineering program. And, uh, cause the kid is just stupid smart. And I always joke, it's like, he probably won't see boobs until he's 40, but he's the crazy smartest kid <laughs> I've ever known. But <laughs> I, I would, I would have loved to have that problem, but, um, uh, but just crazy, crazy smart, but you know, him going in talking in the Navy, to my people more prepped up is getting so many kids that are getting injured um, now because they don't go outside and run. So they're getting in there and they're getting shin splints and stress fractures and all this stuff, yep. you know, from uh, boot camp. So going back as far as you were saying to, you know, being prepared in, in the education. Um, and to add to that, I think part of it too is in, you know, grandparents or great grandparents, you know, generations is there is a lot more of a sense of community. Um, to begin with, everybody relied on each other more for a lot of stuff. And I feel like that was part of that unit cohesion that came a little quicker than such a um, segregated uh, community environment that we have now, where everybody's kind of, they're individuals that come together at their convenience as opposed to out of necessity. Yeah. And I'd agree. I think the social construct of how we, let's face it, you and I are sitting here over internet doing a, a blog that will reach millions of people we don't know but yet it's a different form of community mm-hmm. you know that it yell is still very individual because yep. you know we all have our we, we, we cherish our individuality yep. and we're less dependent less dependent on those people to our left and our right and the society goes through to where you know when I go back on the education is you can have the community, but if I just do the check in the box and it's, Hey, I got my bullet points. You remember your time in the coast guard. Hey, I got my, you get your bullet points. Well, there has to be some place to where you not just do the check in the box, but, but that learning is, you know, evaluated and inspected mm-hmm. and verified that it's good. And then you put those people that have a common skill set together in a cohesive group. And, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit because uh, yep. I think, it's still relevant now. Uh, I'm going to go back to the suicide awareness message that I used to, to hit was, you know, my time in the Marine Corps, I had, when I was with the Alpha Battery, Bravo Battery, 3rd Land Battalion, Stinger Battalions, the core people that I had around were pretty consistent. You know, we'd have transition, but you had people that were together for a good duration. Mm-hmm. When we got into post 9-11 and we started sending folks to OEF and OIF and we had the nation and this is going to sound a little backwards too people can throw stones but we had the nation you know they didn't want to have their sons and daughters deployed for long lengths of time so the military and the you know the leadership came up with our shorter rotation seven months one year less than a year and to pump that but we didn't really plus up numbers. The nation wasn't going to go to a draft because it wasn't that popular, right? <laughs> so what occurred was a brigade, for example, in the army, uh, per se, infantry brigade that's working with, they would they would deploy, they'd pump over there for a short period of time, they'd throw people together, get them up to speed, then they'd come back, and they didn't have the numbers to have these solid groups that those units would then break up and people would rotate out and you had to were some units in less than six to eight months. Their first sergeants, their commanders, their teams were different people. Yeah. So, so if you think about that on effectiveness, if you had a football team that you did that way, 
right? First off, operationally, they would be playing like, well, I don't want to down any teams, but they would be, <laughs> not be playing well, right? right? Okay. And then second, think of the suicide side mm-hmm. and depression. In your time in the Coast Guard, I don't know how it was, but in my time in the Marine Corps, in fact, hell, I had laughed just a week and a half ago. I ran into a Gunny Estelle, who is an old senior staff NCO that when I came in as a young, you know, Lance Corporal out of basic training and corporal, if I had problems, and I'm not, but I could share with him, we could be our authentic self with these NCOs that were our bosses. And yeah, they may put a boot up your ass, <laughs> but it would be to where they mentored and they covered down for you. And they would rather you come to them than shit happen later. Uh, nowadays, if you think about it, if you only have a limited time with these people that you're thrown together with, who do you trust to your left and your right that you're going to share your your stresses, your challenges, your issues that you're facing? If you're dealing with PTSD or you didn't, you know, this this firefight that you were in messed you up, who do you talk to and who do you trust if you don't have that battle buddy formed over time? Because trust only comes with time, Yeah, you know, and experience. For sure. For sure. Um, yeah, I know a, a couple guys I've talked to, you know, that's, a lot of times when I've spoken with them that they're get tied into, you know, different groups and it's, if nothing else, it's what's what I'm looking for. Um, there's at least a base level of familiarization, um, for people that have been through similar experiences, but it still takes a very long time to build that willingness to, to talk and to open up even in, in that scenario. And, um, right. you know, I'm, I'm, I'm f- not to sound like a dick, but I'm, I'm fortunate that I've, I've never been, in the types of, of situations that I carry that on my back. Um, cause I, I couldn't imagine how difficult that that probably, I mean, everybody has their own bullshit, obviously, but when you, there are certain things that you see and that you experience that just, you can't unsee it. You can't unsee it. And it's there with you. You can't unsee it. Yeah. And that's what I talked to, um, uh, a buddy of mine and he was, we were talking about some of that a little bit and he said, you know, for him, the worst part weren't the things he, this is when he was in Afghanistan. A lot of it wasn't the, what he necessarily even saw in active combat. It was the stuff that he saw when like on watch having to stand guard posts, what you'd see, what you weren't allowed to react to. You weren't allowed to, you know, hold the post. And he said that stuff, he, he brought back with him just as much of the combat and uh, not have people to talk to about that. You know, it fucked him up for a very long time, you know, and he found a, a group and, and whatever. So, I mean, that was a blabbering way to say that I, I can't even comprehend what gets carried on a lot of men's backs. And even I say men, some of these guys are kids, yeah, I mean, soldiers, you know, women, yeah. men, children, yep. you know, that's all the kids I deal with now are all younger than my children. It's, you know, it's yeah. uh, it's a reality. It was a reality back then. Yeah. And it's compounded a little bit that, and, and this is, I'm going to say there's a couple times I'm always going to preface that you guys can throw the stones. Uh, because we have this idealistic idea of, you know, what, what help is. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm prefacing it that way. Here's an example. So we knew the suicides were going up and in the big army and the big, you know, DOD to respond. Well, now we're going to, you know, a fund, throw money at it and fund VA better, you know, try to get them to do a better job, try to get uh, post-deployment mm-hmm. counseling and post-deployment interviews to, to see how, these soldiers and sailors and Marines and airmen and coast guard are, uh, are doing when they come back. And it was interesting that with the cycle of my travel, it was very often 
the post-deployment, I was there with units at the same time that the stood up uh, psyche valve teams were there. Mm. And we would sit in the hotels and, you know, sometimes get to, to visit. And I found it interesting that when talking with them, they would say, yeah, he says, they say it's, it's, it's a bandaid. It's, it's, it's there and it has function doing what they're doing. However, even they admitted that the soldiers, it was interesting. That was the combat line soldiers reported and shared less thus received less Mm -hmm. than than a lot of the non-line units to where like we said kids are raised in a softer manner that where if they heard something or saw something it causes this traumatic effect whereas they were there kind of in the background seeing Mm -hmm. or hearing of it whereas the kid that was the combat bat that got hit by ieds and lost all of his you know Mm-hmm. folks that within his vehicle with him would not say anything so it's a it's a challenge that when you throw money at a situation it still has to that doesn't mean it's resolved and right. it goes back to where if society is unaware of the true nature then once we threw money at it as a society we're like oh good great there that's that's covered we're good and we have they've we got have the help they need and we'll move on right uh, but yet you go look at the numbers and the suicides are still what they're ridiculous yeah. for your, you know, combat vets and, and those post post operations. Yeah. Uh, and I'm going to share probably more. Well, actually, I'm comfortable sharing here. I wouldn't be on here. Uh, my family and my kids know that there was a period of my life that was serious depression. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, my relationship with God, the God I worship, was when I hit rock bottom and I was suicidal that it, it just was an awakening that i cannot and and i will not get to that point again so it's like be your authentic self and in fact that's when i met kind of amanda was the art world and creative and you know getting back to you know who i am and who god made me to be uh kind of was the the bounce up and with that said you know now it, it makes it to where, all right, I remember how I got there. You know, what do we have for these kids and their their children to uh, to address their challenges? Mm-hmm. And, and so much of it is seen on, you know, they'll either, well, actually, I'm going to pause here. I'm not, I'm not sure. We don't know what they're doing because right. ultimately a lot of them aren't finding their answers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's very, very true. And it's it's a tough road, like uh, for myself, and this isn't uh, combat related, but I was medically just discharged from from the Coast Guard. Um, uh, honorable, but, you know, medical is a, a med boarded out uh, right. with a bipolar diagnosis. And so, um, you know, I've been Medicaid on that for years, but along those lines, I mean, I've had a couple of, of legitimate attempts al- along the way myself. And, you know, it's a it's a rough place to to be in and it's it's odd even when you're crawling out of it it doesn't necessarily feel like you're making headway for, for a while you know it takes right. it, it's i think that's um part of it it's it's part of it is being Excuse willing me. to get help or or learn from it, but also the patience to realize that it doesn't just immediately get better like you can have some burden lifted yeah. but it, it takes a while for that to, to lift off but yeah and you have to be able to be aware of the signs and i think that's 
you know, that's that's part of it. And that's those are the coping skills that, you know, I wish we would. Hey, by having a tighter team and continuity, a mm-hmm. uh, little bit more cohesiveness of the unit. Yeah. And I don't know how you do that with the way society is now. That's very individualized. Right. And then the, the second part is that the safety net uh, that they can go to for for the help yeah. without without judgment. I think we we've done a good job of that. And I'm I'm kind of lost my mindset here a little bit. I'm, yeah, I had, sorry. I had a couple of bullet points I was I was thinking I wanted to hit. I kind of went off, but it's you know when we're out there with the kids now. Now when we've been so long, it's it's interesting the groups I'm working with now. You know, they weren't even. Let's face it, 9/11 was a long time ago. Yeah. So the the young kids that are coming in now, it's back to where we have the kids coming in, not because it's uh was a conflict or not because it was anything, but in fact, they are not even aware of those years mm-hmm. and, and how we prepare them for what may occur. Cause the world is a crazy place. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. No, but 100%. And it, it's, it's odd to see those changes. Cause I'm, you know, still young. I mean, I just hit, you know, 41, uh, Amanda's older than me, but, um, <laughs> are you allowed this? Is she going to come out of nowhere and, and, and hit you in the back of the head? She might, she might, but, uh, but no, it yeah. is odd. You, you, you know, you saying that cause it's true. Like for me and we joke like in the, you know, like there's music that came out in the mid two thousands that to me is still a band's new record, right? Like, Oh yes, they're, they're new. Right. You know, I was like, shit, that's 20 years old. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I don't, think about in those terms a lot of kids coming in yeah that other than in a history book or, or whatever it's a whole different mindset and a whole different world and then the the technology technological advancements that they're in in now is a whole different slew of um stressors and and things to you know to, to be concerned with i mean my youngest uh he's um just turned 12 and he's always concerned. like here's people talk as uh, my ex-wife side. They're pretty politically um, vocal about things. But I mean, he's constantly worried about, you know, war happening at any point in time and drones flying overhead. And, and it's like, dude, he's 12. You know, it's like and I, I yeah. get it. But um, but that's something, you know, if when I was 12, if someone would, you know, there was no no uh, no drones flying around or people watching from the skies. There were, but not. <laughs> the way we uh you know we we approach it now right it's a actually that's an interesting thread to go down because i had a conversation uh love of my life now uh, her son is with us and he's he's a he's a teen and uh it, it's funny he makes fun of his sister because she's always posting mm-hmm. and he'll, he'll make fun of her posting it but i have to laugh is because he's not always posting he's not one of those hey you know this is what i'm doing He's always listening. Mm-hmm. You know, we now have a society to where the the noise and the news or propaganda or whatever <laughs> it is that is flooding, you know, on the market is we have a society that it's almost like they're they're stuck on that. And I'm going to do a quick little history if we think about it. Yes, we had a, a farming community in, you know, World War One and mm-hmm. World War Two and, you know, but then we also had to where the only news was, well, hell, in World War One, it came across on the boat, and then it might make it to the printer, and then it might come to the family, and then they would look in the corner square to see what was going on. And World War Two, you had newsreels, and mm-hmm. and it's not that the people are different. I think if back then had the same 
media access we have now, that generation would have been just as crazy. Mm -hmm. But yet, because they didn't have it, they didn't get inundated with this noise. And realistically, it's like you're saying, your 12 year old, you know, they get this fearful, what if, what if? And it's like, well, live life, you know, and try to turn off that noise if you can and prepare to be able to be good in who you are and mm-hmm. strong in who you are and strong in those people around you and your community. And when shit happens and it will, then you have the resources and the wherewithal to be able to, you know, work through it potentially. Yeah. And if you can't, then you have that community around you that can support. Yeah. And I think all of those variables are, have gotten kneecapped. Mm-hmm. by our day and age yeah. you know the the willingness to be a team member versus look at me i'm an individual look what i have what what i've got you know right and those i think that's part of the challenges uh yeah i, 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 can I don't try. have a solution yeah. uh other than you know keep keep talking to people on wherever you talk and building relationships and being your authentic self uh, who god made you and yeah. You know, no, I, I agree. I, I try to tell my my kids and all of them. And we had a I had a big talk with uh, Eli, the seventeen. He was just you know normal, and he was honest to God a man that did a hell of a job raising that kid. I mean, he was even as a teenager, other than having to put a boot in his ass once or twice, for the most part, he was never disrespectful, never stepped out of line. Like like I said, I mean, I think we got married when he was ten. But all, by then, all the hard work was done, right? The foundation was there, you know, right. all that. But I told him once he was, you know, too smart for his own good, you know, and, and the access to information that he that's on the Internet and things that he can you know, read about and learn about. So, you know, obviously getting big for his britches and uh, was saying something about he got in trouble. He's like, well, I've been conditioned to X, Y and Z. And I was like, whoa, 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 buddy. I said, now, let me go ahead and tell you, if you're old enough and you're self-aware enough to recognize that there's a problem, then it's now your problem to sort out. I was like, you can't, you can't, if you, if you know it's there, you, ha- you have to solve it. You can, you can't blame, you know, whatever. Cause he was trying to tell a man, it's like, well, you conditioned me to do this. And I was like, no, that's, that's not how that works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But that's what I try to tell it to my, it's like, you gotta be self-aware. And like you said, be your best self, but be willing to accept the faults that are there. And, you know, we're here to support you every step of the way, but unless you're willing to come to us and say, Hey dad, I'm having a problem with this. I'm proud of that. I don't know. I can't, I can't help you. Um, but you know, but if you recognize there's a problem, let's work on it. Let's get better. Let's move forward. Um, of course it's easier to start them when they're, when they're younger that way than a lifetime of bottling emotion like their dad. But, uh, you know, try, <laughs> try to, try to work with them to, to find those things along the way. Yeah. No. And some and sometimes the best lessons are when they see us fail. That's like uh, I'll just hit uh, on the personal note was where I fought with depression. My kids saw it, we knew it, and then we, oops, sorry, and then we addressed it. You know, but we got to talk about it afterwards. Mm-hmm. I, and I can't speak for how they perceived it, but I a that was a growing thing for me. Mm-hmm. B I think for them to see that you know everyone has strengths and limitations and that we you work through them and you be your authentic right. with them, I think helps. Uh, yep. Yeah. I, I feel like tra- transparency is, is 
more of a powerful tool than we realize across the board, not just with our kids, but with other people. Um, like you said, being authentic and, and just being willing to, to be, um, a faulty piece of machinery, you know, and, and accept that. I think that that speaks a lot louder than, than we realize a lot of times to, to others. Yeah. I think, I think if our, uh, you know, with, with these new, uh, new soldiers and that, that I work with that haven't had deployments or haven't had that stress, mm-hmm. you know, it's that cycle back into where just like any other teen or any other young person, you know, they want the appearance to be their best self. Mm-hmm. So that's always a challenge. And that's been a lifelong challenge. Hell, when I was a teen, <laughs> you know, I'm great. You right. know? <laughs> that kind of mindset, yeah. but yet to somehow through example and through the structure and through the unit, uh, and unity and cohesiveness of community and of whatever organization or military group they're with, you know, to establish that. But it's it's kind of interesting because I think our society, its power, prestige, and possessions, as Richard Rohr would say, <laughs> seems to be a focus of uh, many of those folks and many of the society. So right. to, to to open up to that takes a, takes a, a pause back and a look. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that that you know. artist personification has just been widespread of that narcissistic front with a crippling insecurity just behind it. You know, it's, right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, um, you know, I, I was giving Amanda a hard time. I just want to say, because you mentioned the art stuff, this is way thrown back, but it makes me angry how talented she is and how good she is at things. <laughs> it, it, like I'm constantly inside just a little bit angrily jealous of, of how good she is at pretty much everything. So. <laughs> just, just throwing that out there you know where you know so she's well stupid. you know in the team you have the the one that may take the ball and the one that you know <laughs> supports or assists. but i have no doubt that in your role well here you are online talking uh you know the some old crazy guy with uh, glasses and a white beard that's all right that's all right no nope. so if if you don't mind i don't want to cut you off if you had some other stuff nope. you wanted to say but i was going to um if, if you feel like it, take it um, kind of back a little bit on uh, on a personal note and just kind of get your background prior to joining the service. Kind of what did what did young sure. young Perry look like along the way? Uh, uh, so young Perry, actually. So I was the last of but that's a had three brothers and a sister. I was the last of them. And uh, I loved. uh <laughs> Let's see, which way do I want to go with this? It's, it's the truth way, but it's a, I loved, I have no, it's, it may sound like uh, the Steve Martin movie in The Jerk when he says I was poor and a poor little black child, right? That's, uh, I don't know if you remember that, yeah. but it's, and, and he lived in whatever, but I was blessed that my family, we were raised in Akron, Ohio, mm-hmm. and our house was probably 1,100 square foot max, and you had four boys in one bedroom, and the sister in the, uh, in the garage that was converted to another bedroom and my parents and theirs. And it was like WWF to where it was forced community. And I'm thankful for it. At the time it was a little painful. Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> That's uh, all the brothers wrestled. So I was like their wrestling dummy and it was uh, a challenge and I wasn't a stellar student, but we definitely made sure we had a uh, pretty fair grades, not yeah. straight A's, but we didn't come home with a D or an F. Right. So there was that parental and we were, Let's see. We were, and uh, because the house was so small, we actually got the uh, not 
not the over hover moms that you might have or hover dads that you have now. The phrase we would get is get out of the house and go blow the stink off. You know? <laughs> so it was during a, a timeline to where, you know, the parents weren't worried about their kids getting mauled in the street somewhere because of the fear factor that gotten elevated with all the, the access to what goes on in the world. Yeah. We were on the other hand, kind of shoot out and there's my outdoorsy side, which, you know, you, you may not know, but that's like I kayak and mm-hmm. stay active outdoors that it filled that. And then uh, it was kind of funny is the uh, when I graduated high school and we were looking at, you know, colleges, as truth was, I love my dad, but he didn't have the money to send all of us to college. And that right. wasn't that wasn't our that wasn't the way we were so much. We were just the, that standard, you know lower middle-class family in Ohio working there. And uh, even though he offered to pay for the first two years, um, all of us kind of elected the same thing, which I kind of smile as none of us took him up on it. We all moved out of the house when we were 18 or 19 and graduated to go find our own mm-hmm. careers. And in my case, that's uh, I worked for a little while, but back then in 77 was, you know, if you look at the economy back then, unemployment was like a 17% in Akron, Ohio. Mm-hmm. That's actually why I joined the Marine Corps. It's like, all right, says I'm getting jobs, losing jobs to, to senior people because they're laying off. And uh, my dad was a uh, army, you know, he was in the army air corps during world war two. And I said, you know, I'd like to get in the Marine Corps and learn how to work on F4 phantoms and yeah. you know, all the, that kind of thing. So that's what got me into the Marines. Okay. Was, uh, was that opportunity. So I totally understand it's uh it wasn't all patriotic. Yes, my uncle and family were right. military, but it was more like a lot of kids. Yep. The option to go get an education and to get on with life and go see the world. Yeah. And and what did you end up doing uh during your time? I mean not obviously it's a very diverse you know, twenty one years you did a lot of shit. But but <laughs> yeah, uh... there's, there's a lot of things. Let's see. So I worked with uh well F four families to begin with and then to I have a I have a I'm going to do a side detour here. Yeah, yeah. Uh, every system I've worked with has been phased out. <laughs> All right. So and it started <laughs> off, you know, I should have known this at the very beginning because I'm working on the avionics of an F-4 and the Marine Corps says, well, we're going to phase out F-4s. And uh, I was going to school in uh, Memphis, Tennessee at Millington Air Station. And uh, got my electronics and all that. In fact, naval electronics schools, there's a way to go, folks, yep. if you want to learn electronics, or at least it used to be. Uh, that the Marine Corps then said, well, we're going to send you to Huntsville, Alabama, because it's not far from Memphis, to this new missile system. And it was Hawk missiles. Okay. So I came down and I went to school to work on a Hawk. And I had laughed. That wasn't during the days of Internet, right? right. And Google search. If I would have had that opportunity like the kids do now, I would have Googled up Hawk Systems and found out it was formed in 1960s. <laughs> it was ancient, right? So I went from working on uh, F4 avionics to working on something with vacuum tubes and old relays. Yep. So uh, I, I did that for for a little while. And actually, uh, I don't want to toot the horn, but I got, I got lucky. I got... Uh, did that, went to North Carolina, was stationed out there for a little, very little while, and uh, then got some meritorious promotions and got identified to come back to go to another school. So I was kind of blessed with another school. And then after that one, I went out to Yuma, and yeah. they asked me to come back and teach at a school. And then after that one, to Okinawa and another couple places. And in between there, you know, that's a was a drill instructor for a little while. So I got to do that routine with uh, Paris Island. I could see it. Uh, I could. I could see it. 
<laughs> and then I came back and, and ran the school for the Marine Corps there. So yes, my lineage is where I focus on, hey, if you're going to, you may laugh at this, but I don't think you will. I think, I think love, first off, I do believe it's a verb. Mm-hmm. And I think if you want to show somebody you love them, teach them, mentor them, grow them, your children, your peers, your community, yeah. you know, to do better. And, and I, I love that. So it kind of a, it was a natural fit that my life evolved to where I was always engaged uh, teaching. Yeah. And it's funny as I finished my pre-med and then in the engineering, when I was a senior enlisted station there at Redstone, because you had UAH and some good colleges. Mm-hmm. And that was what I was working civilian-wise when I got out. And then, like I said, after 9-11, they called me back. And, and it was even then, it was a kind of a systems integration and thing. But mm-hmm. uh, to keep it short, the first unit that was deploying that I was working with for the Army, uh, there was an old Army colonel who asked to support this. We go there and we feel, we integrate, and we're, we're talking to this uh, colonel and said, hey, your systems are good. Go have your guys check them out. And he looked at me and said, uh, hey, Mr. Taylor, we don't know how to run these things. <laughs> and it was it was then I realized that the reason they had contacted me as a Marine was their soldiers, they fielded these things, these systems and these capabilities, but they didn't have training for it within their Army institutional training. Oh, wow. And here they were deploying over into a combat area. So, yes, that was when I jumped in full bore and said, all right, we're going to do these integrations and we're going to stay the couple of weeks to make sure these guys know what they need to know to be safe when they're deployed. Yeah. And we would touch base with them, you know, while they were deployed and we'd touch base with them again when they got back. So that was, uh, you know, my, I think my life is kind of formed out to where one of the notes that God made me to be, like you said, Amanda's an artist, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, I'd like to say I had something to do with it, but I think God wired me to, to enjoy teaching and, yeah. you know, sharing yeah. what I know with others. Yeah, for sure. And, it, and in my opinion, along those lines, like whether different for everybody else, but whether the field that you're in um, is the field you want to be in, if you're doing the thing that you love to do or the thing that where your talents are at, you'll find that along the way if that makes sense that's a really you know odd way to put it um like i still work in electronics i'm a field engineer um with a company and there's an uh an element of myself that i i i see it something like uh, i hate circuit boards i hate electronics so much but (laughs) but i'm 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 good at it and it provides for the family and it it takes care of that and it's it's nothing that i hate but uh but you know I've, i've followed that uh, that I, I was like, okay, Amanda's the better creative, so let's let's let her do that, and then I'll I'll support the best I can. I'll be the, uh, you know, I'll I'll let her, you know, to to, to create because she's a much better creator than I am, and I'm a much bigger nerd than she is. So it it, it works itself yeah, well, out. I, <laughs> I don't know if I I don't know if I'd have you own that one totally there just yet as we're sitting here talking on this <laughs> this this blog or whatever we call this. Yeah, well, modern good, high tech. Right. Well, I'm good at running my mouth. I can, that, that's, a, I guess, a, a talent that I have, but <laughs> yep. I think, I think you hit the nail on the head is, is what I said to his parents was, you know, I always prayed that my kids either found the job that, you know, was, makes them happy to their soul doing the job, or they found a job that pays the bills so they can pursue their passions, yep. you know, and their time off. And, and I will, I'll take a moment to plug and brag on both my kids. That's, yeah. I love them both. My daughter's a teacher. 
And my son is a creative, you know, audio gaming kind of, you know, engineering type that it's uh, both of them are, are doing what they love. And it's amazing how yeah that resonance just leads to good things. Yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, I was. Yeah, it really is. Like, I'm always impressed when people can find that stride. I made a real bunch of really, really bad decisions in, in my younger years that I was still paying off as I got older and then kind of found, found my path. So, you know, I'm, I'm happy where I'm at. It, it took a while to get hey, here, but <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, my, uh, my reason for joining the military is, uh, I had gotten married really, really young and that fell apart. So my world went to shit and I was like, well, damn, what else am I going to do? <laughs> so that was, that was my jump in. But, uh, yeah, I think, you know, to kind of, I know we're probably coming to your clothes or whatever, but, if you think of where we started and talking about, you know, uh, the community, mm-hmm. think on that one. Because yeah. you and I both came in to better ourselves, mm-hmm. you know, and we come into a service to better ourselves, to have a, a group. And it's like, I love it. When I work with the soldiers today, as a matter of fact, uh, yeah, I won't go into that story, but it's the, 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 the literal story. But the soldiers of today, they want to learn. They want to get mm-hmm. challenged. They want the hardship. Uh, yet, as society, you know, we've degraded, you know, and, and I understand, you know, if somebody's abusive with power, then you go in and re- regulate to where you can't have abuses. But mm-hmm. yet, there are training that is required that is hard to build the ability to deal with stress. You know, so we have uh, folks joining in now with looking for this opportunity and you come in and we've almost watered down the level of training and growth that we put needed for a military mindset. Mm-hmm. And I, and like I said, I understand. It's the same reason, yes, we do not want pr- police brutality. Right. So give me a better trained policeman. Give me better evaluation of how they act, what they do, yep. so that you know that the individual has that strength of character and professionalism to do his job effectively. Mm-hmm. And I think out of fear, we've uh, neutered the system in a lot of places to where instead of doing that actual training required to have that kind of individual as a soldier or as a policeman or as in a position of power, we just have legislated to where you can't do A, B, C, and D, which means a kid's sitting on his thumbs when he comes into the service and he's not allowed to do A, B, C, and D that was mentally stressing, physically stressing, challenging to his mind and his body, mm-hmm. you know, that society would now look and say, well, oh my goodness, you're a, you must be a Marine from the seventies. <laughs> right. <laughs> in which I say, yes. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> well, I mean, uh, it's, it's, it's changed a lot in the, I mean, I say it's a long time. It's been, I was 2013 when I got, 2005 when I went in, but, um, you know, it's changed a lot since then, you know, telling, you know, Eli writing and telling stories. I'm like, man, that's so even in that period of time, it's a, it's a big change, but. Right. So I have, um, really just three more questions for you and there's no time limit on them. That's like, I'm, I'm in no hurry whatsoever. It's just, we talk, we talk, but, um, one thing I always like to ask is, um, if, of your time in, which is, you know, 21 years, you said, right. do you have, a particular uh, story, experience, something that can be ridiculous. It can be hilarious. It can be like 
gut wrenching, whatever. Is there is there like one thing that stands out that you would you know a story that you'd like to share or tell? Oh my God, you should have gave me a prep because there's so many. Uh, <laughs> actually, uh, the one that comes to mind, okay. and I think it's relevant. It might be that I was talking about my kids. Is uh, I was the NCOIC of a unit over in Okinawa, Japan, and uh, you know that was in the early '80s. Uh, actually, mid '80s, at a unit over there, and we would have these uh, competitions between units, you know, and we'd go go run. And, and my kids knew me as Dad. You know, I didn't take the Marine Corps home, believe it or not. I wasn't a drill instructor at the house, and I right. didn't bark orders. It was, you know, I tried to separate uh, military life and family life to be two different things. So, so they knew me as, you know, Papa, mm-hmm. and. Uh, but yet here in Okinawa, that's uh, we were having one of these field day events to where we called it. And I can't say it out loud because back then, <laughs> you know, the military has, has grown and what phrases we used. But yeah. but we called it uh, we called the game drag the, mm-hmm. you know, blank and it rhymed and it was terrible and it's inappropriate. And we've all grown through that. Mm-hmm. However, that was the name of the game. And you had two units that would face off with each other and just go to blows right on this field. And uh, and it was like a, you had a line on one side, a line on the other side. And it's like, you know, you just, you fought until whatever unit didn't have a man standing on the field. <laughs> <laughs> and I have to laugh because there's a, uh, the Clint Eastwood movie. What is it? Heartbreak Bridge, I think. Yeah. No, yeah. That, uh, that they kind of do that in the water. Yep. What well, was pretty much, imagine that scene. And imagine that I didn't know my wife and my two kids had showed up at my work area to see Pop at the end of the workday and walk home with him. <laughs> and we're doing this, right? Oh. And I have I have three three Marines from the other unit grabbing me, and my other Marines are pretty much gone. And I bite a guy in the leg, right, to... to, to, to to, to like kind of the heartbreak ridge thing that wasn't cheaping cheating that was improvisation and i heard my daughter you know from the sideline and i'm like oh hell <laughs> you know so much for setting the example right but oh, man. but no it was just uh that, that's kind of one that comes to mind that's, that's, yeah that one is great oh my gosh that's uh, one you don't bring your kids to work day kind of thing yeah, absolutely Oh man, I yep. thought, I need to rewatch Heartbreak Ridge. That you mentioned that just put that in my brain. I haven't watched that in forever. Yeah. I just always go to and the. It, uh, and, it is, oh, go and, and while I'm there, I am going to hit something. I want to say because yeah. you know here I am saying the drag the, you mm-hmm. know, don't. I I hope that as a society, you know, what we were raised with doesn't stay on us. We all right. grow, right? Yeah. So, you know, I want to make sure that I think there's a. Uh, I was in a conversation just recently to where somebody was totally offended with the phrase, you know, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Mm-hmm. And to me, that doesn't mean don't help your brother and don't assist your brothers. Uh, to me, that's like, Hey, if we fall, get up. Yeah. Right. Yep. Cause I think that's the mindset, but we have to admit that the society has gotten a little less selfless and a little more selfish. Mm-hmm. You do have the people that look at those that are suffering and in harm and say, ah, just go pull yourself up by the bootstrap. And it has, a new negative yeah. connotation. And I think that's that same thing that is, is I have uh, younger generations, uh, you know, set a narrative that I often, you get pigeonholed being my age to where they think, you know, they, they bought into the, that mindset is mm-hmm. a generational thing. And I will tell you, it is not. Mm-hmm. 
I think every individual is accountable and responsible for how we see the world and how we grow as we're going through it. And yes, I live in an era to where, you know, a lot of wrongs were done. And we live in an era now where a lot of wrongs continue and we were unaware, but when we become aware, we make a change. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, I concur. I can, I have nothing to add to that. I was going to, it's about nothing. That's great. Well, well said. <laughs> So, um, I guess, so question number two is, um, if I had nowhere to go with, I just completely dead ended with my, my thought process there. Um, but, uh, so I guess question number two is if you had, um, say a kid, um, that's dealing with whatever, uh, combat vet, um, on his shoulders happens to be listening to this. If you could give them one piece of advice or, or, or address them in some way, what, what, what would you say to them? Just for encouragement for hope or something. Right. I think, I think the first part is you have to find your safe space. You know, there's uh it, it's interesting that here recently, I'll go is that yes, there's organizations and there's uh, recovery and there's PTSD groups. And I would encourage going there, but ultimately it's uh, finding your safe space of where you feel comfortable with yourself. And there's a lot of folks that, you know, we, we go through the growth cycle where hell just being comfortable with ourselves and our own private is, is a challenge to where, you know, we're in a society where people tie religion is necessarily, let's face it, it's not the most popular thing because a lot of wrongs have been done in the name of religion that people may poo-poo it, but I believe we each have a spirit in us. Mm -hmm. And if and if we're struggling and we're stressing, where we go to find that space, safe space to get in tune with that spirit, uh, it's gonna be different for each one. But I encourage, I, I encourage the trying the different groups to look and it, the first one may not be the answer you know it's uh for example you know right now it's a there's a celebrate recovery group which is a kind of a christian based group that does recovery for addicts and does ptsd and does a lot of other ones that those are good ones uh or just talking if you have a truly close friend not everybody's blessed to have that friend that you can share everything with but if you know that's your safe space i think speaking it and getting it out Mm -hmm. A, open and honest with yourself and open and honest with somebody else uh, that you trust and you have that bond with is important. And if you don't have that, uh, and I actually thought of this one first, but I went into the others because for me, it's just getting out in nature. When, when I get time in the woods or I'll tell my friends it's time for a river to run, uh, that to get out in nature and have that communication with the divine that I know and, you know, to try to find that peace. And then generally, and it may sound like fooey to the people listening, but the path for resolution opens itself. Uh, I know it sounds crazy because I would never listen to the myself of now when I was an 18 year old or a 22 year old, but uh, there's a, there's something about being out in nature that I don't think you can look at the stars and not know there's a God and not know that there's hope yeah. and not know that there's love. Uh, and then finding the place and the people 
to where you feel that. And if you go visit and you don't find it at the first place, don't give up. Knock on the next door and keep knocking. Nice. All right. So final question, and it ties into that, uh, that question. And that is, I know a lot of times um, when we have combat vets, um, they come back or just could have been back for years. doesn't matter. But you have um, loved ones that generally care about them but don't know how to support them, Whatever, whether it's with their PTSD, whether it's whatever that they're dealing with. Um, from your experiences and the things you've seen, do you have any – I hate the word advice because um, it, you know, it, it gives the implication that somebody's an, an expert. But from your experience, can you speak from what um, is beneficial for them to know as someone that's wanting to support and wanting to care about uh, a person but has no idea how to do so? That's a very that's a very vague question. I know it is, it, it, but it's but it's relevant. I mean, uh, I won't go into names. It's I'm going to sit here and first off, I'm going to say, I'll preach a little bit. There is a God, there is a divine. Because the string of events, even with this event, within just the last few months that have reengaged uh, efforts on working with groups and working with soldiers that are challenged and working with uh, myself and others that are struggling through depressions and hardships, is they've just all kind of lined up. And on this topic, where you're asking is, I ran into uh, a young Marine that was a family friend. And after several rotations overseas and the loss of all of his platoon, except for him, you can imagine, you know, that level of hardship that he was going through. Yeah. And during that time, uh, since they were friends of the family, they reached out to me because at that time I was working with soldier suicide awareness. And, you know, they, they reached out and and I'm, they made my safe available. But I'll be honest, at that stage, you know, he was appreciative and he was polite, but he was not as placed in himself to receive or want to talk. Right. But persistence of investment between his family continuing to make it known that they're there, mm -hmm. even though, you know, what they, they have to be able to be happy in the fact that they know they're offering. Mm -hmm. They can't own guilt if the offer isn't received, right? Because right. the individual has to, to get to that point. And, and that's the same way I look at it is, you know, we, we make a difference where we can and mm -hmm. we offer and we offer and you stay persistent, but not in a peckish way, right? Right that they know it's there and they know the love is genuine and keep hope. Uh, then, you know, keep an awareness as well, because with soldier suicide, you know, if it's gone that far, then you also have to keep an awareness to the signs mm -hmm. and not be afraid to make the tough decision and intervene, you know, to address that they may need professional help or isolation or, you know, Right. To get an intervention, yeah. uh, because in working with the groups I've worked with, I've, I've heard to where, you know, you hear the stories to where they kind of knew, but they were afraid to say something. Right. The challenge is, is how does a parent, how does a friend, how does a loved one know where that threshold is to where the soldier or sailor or Marine is so at risk that it requires you to go above and beyond. Right. 
and that's that's hard. But that goes back to the conversation we had earlier mm-hmm. in a society to where we don't have community. You know, if you don't know your your loved ones well enough to know the signs, the first step is to love your loved ones well enough, get close enough to where you can see the signs. Yeah. And and actually I'll go back to my first talking point on the suicide awareness is if a unit has cohesiveness, the first sergeant knows when Jonesy is not in his right place. Right. If they don't train together, they don't know each other and there's no cohesiveness, how does a unit, whether it be a military unit, a family unit, a social friends network, know when somebody's struggling? And then the other side of that is, how does the individual that's struggling know and have the trust to those around him if there's not truly an investment in the community? Well said. Well said. Well, um, along those lines, after we um, uh, we get off of here, if you would send me any uh, organizational links or anything that you have, I will happily put them in the show notes when it releases, so they're available, um, you know, to people that might be reading through. But um, okay. but uh, otherwise, I'm that's all I have. Do you have anything else you'd like to add? Throw out there? No, nope. I applaud. I applaud you working to you know give a voice and to help. Because it does communications, though sometimes we're in a world where it's, you know, too much noise. I think communications like this to where people talk and think about, you know, what their struggles are and what they're dealing with post deployments and just in life in general. We all, not just military, everybody comes up with challenges. I I think it's beautiful, Stephen. Thank you. I applaud you and and you are an artist. (laughs) Well, I'm I'm a big (laughs) believer in you can't fix shit unless you'll talk about shit. That's, you know, it's, it's, it's how it goes. So. Well, Perry, if you don't mind hanging on for just a second after I uh, cut the feed, just so I can kind of uh, talk to you just for a second, and then uh, we'll go. Thanks for your time, man. I know you're you're a busy guy. Uh, thanks for being on the show. Now this is a pleasure. This 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 feels like it makes a difference. That's what we keep doing. Good. Good.